0: Good morning, Redemption. Good to see everyone here. Uh, thanks for coming, and, and we're going to get right into it. Matthew chapter 13, if you have a Bible, we are in a, uh, a four-week series of last week on uh, pictures of the kingdom. So we're going to pick up two small parables to wrap that up in verses 44 through 46 today. I'm going to confess a little something to you. Um, I have a guilty pleasure called Pawn Stars. I don't know if anybody else <laughs> watches Pawn Stars Um, my only reason is because I love it when someone brings in an item, they have no idea it's worth, they bring in an expert, and suddenly they find themselves with a treasure, right? That's pretty cool. Every one of us is kind of a, a, an undercover treasure seeker anyway, so, um, a couple weeks ago, there was a guy who brought in a guitar, and it happened to be Jimi Hendrix's guitar. They they estimated it's worth at one million dollars, right? And it was propped in his closet. I know this, if it was mine, it wouldn't be in my closet, I'd have sold it in a nanosecond, and, uh. But here's the deal, what if I told you, what if I told you that the world's most valuable treasure was in, within your reach, what would you do? Well, here's what I know, you'd only respond to that if you thought it was valuable too. In, in other words, um, it all comes down to one thing, is what do you consider to be important or, or valuable to you? After all, because they say this, right, one man's trash is another man's not everybody digs the same stuff, okay? So the bottom line is this: uh, these two short parables today are going to help us sort out treasure or at least confront the treasure heart in all of us. So what is the, what is the answer? Do you, do you know enough of yourself to know quickly right off the top of your head what is yours? Is it Is it some possession? Is it some quantity of money? Is it a retirement account? Is it some stock fund? Is it is it a car what what what's your treasure is it your god i don't i have no idea what you would say you value most and just just to be clear about this it's hard to deny what what is true so if i said to you what you value and you would say to me i value family and i value my marriage and yet you were never home proofs in the pudding you really don't value those things they're just words right you know that the right things to say but it's not proved in your life if i if you said to me i value money but you had none you did not manage it. That might also say a better word about what's true. These parables, these two, three verses, two short stories in here are fundamentally Jesus asking a very, very basic question. And here's the question What's most important to you? And whatever your answer to that is, means by the examples of these stories, is that it'll get everything you have. Whatever you think is valuable, whatever you'd put in a treasure category, is going to get everything. Uh, that you have. So let's let's look at these three short verses and then we'll pray together and see what God has to say. Verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Let's pray. God, in in these short stories, Jesus is describing the the way in which all people in all places react to the things they find valuable. Clearly, we know the intention of this passage is the the worth of Christ is is a far greater worth than anything else, and and so I'm, I'm not confused in this room. There's a whole bunch of people who have a whole bunch of different values. So we're asking for your Holy Spirit to help us collectively come together on the worth of Christ. For those who will call themselves Christians, they would love him more. To those who don't and would say that of their own heart, that maybe they would, for the first time, treasure Christ. We pray this in his name, amen. Amen. We started this series, like I said, three weeks ago, Pictures of the Kingdom, and we started with uh, stories that I would call at least complex or mysterious. In fact, the disciples thought that of the first stories we looked at, starting at the beginning of the chapter, and uh, so much so that they came to Jesus after he would tell these stories, say, oh, explain yourself. I have no idea what that last story was about, and why are you telling stories anyway? And Jesus gave two very simple reasons why he's talking about uh, the kingdom of God in story form. One is to reveal to the people who truly love Jesus what the kingdom of God is like, going to be like. And to those people who are just hangers on, who, who are just okay with Jesus, who, who are into the magic show but not into Jesus, he's telling these stories so that it can kind of conceal from them what the kingdom's like. These people aren't interested in Jesus. They're interested in what they can take from Jesus, and so he tells the stories for those two reasons, one, to bring those who love him closer, and those who don't, to keep them away, okay? So uh, here we have in these parables, Jesus shares, not specifically different than the last three we looked at, not to the crowds this time, but just to the disciples. Verse 36, it tells us that Jesus left the crowds and went away to a house, many would say it was Peter's house, so the place is very comfortable for them, everyone's hanging around, the disciples are hanging around, and Jesus starts, not only he explained the story of the weeds that we looked at a couple weeks ago, but he begins these two new short little stories, okay? So this whole objective of concealing truth about the kingdom now doesn't apply, because now he's with his guys, his disciples, now the stories he's telling are out loud, they're overt, they're clear, Okay? They needed no explanation. It's proved by the fact that the disciples don't ask for one. There's no written record whatsoever. The disciples didn't understand right away what he was talking about. And Jesus Jesus offers no explanation, which is unlike the other parables in which he he shared. So the point is that this is a no-brainer, okay? It's hard to preach a message that you don't need a preacher to get, okay, by the way. Um, You're going to know, and you should already know, what, what this is all about. Okay, um, I think the, 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 the fact that Jesus is telling a very familiar, overt truth is, is important, at least interesting to, to note for a second, because there are things that we talk about from, from the pulpit from time to time that are difficult. Not that you're not smart enough to get them, you just don't care. I mean, we can say things how how obvious the kingdom is and how obvious Christ is and what he requires of his people. We can talk about the gospel and salvation. We can talk about it, hopefully, in such clear terms. It's undeniable, like everybody knows what's going on. But sometimes it just doesn't register. I, I just don't care about that. I love these parables because they're so simple in their intent. Because they ask a question, a fundamental question that everybody cares about what do you treasure? I mean, I, I know I don't wake up every day, but, but neither do you wake up and make a list of the things that you find most valuable. You just do it. You just live that way. What's most important to you? In fact, I, I, I would say that these two parables, their main intent isn't to tell you what to treasure, but to tell you how you behave towards everything you do treasure, Okay. And that's important, and we'll come back to that in, in a little bit. The stories are pretty simple. There's a, maybe a hired hand working for a farmer. Maybe he's preparing a field for planting, or maybe he's harvesting. Either way, he runs into treasure, okay? Did you read this week uh, about those college students who went to Goodwill and bought a couch? There was $41,000 in it that's this story, okay? You had no intention to come up with that kind of dough, and it just happens. And so here's this this hired hand. He unearths a fortune. He freaks out, buries it, runs off, and sells everything that he has, in joy, and buys this field so the treasure could be his. Um, This story that Jesus tells, by the way, would be very familiar to the disciples, because in that day, they didn't have banks, they didn't have savings and loans. People really would bury their possessions and their money out in the field. And from time to time, a landowner would just die, okay? And he wouldn't have a roadmap or, or a description of where he hid all his money. He would, it would just be gone forever until someone stumbled upon it. And so when Jesus tells this story, everyone's going, oh yeah, that happened to Uncle Bill, that happened to Joe. Everyone has this story, okay? Uh, the other story... Um, is different in this, that there's a guy who's on a lifetime occupational search for precious pearls. That's his job. He's a pearl merchant. He's always on the lookout for the brightest and the best. And in this case, he stumbles upon the ultimate lifetime pearl. So much so in joy, he sells all that he has, and he goes to buy the treasure. Those are the stories. That's as simple as it is. But I think there's some fundamental principles that these... uh, These two stories tell us about treasure and how people respond to treasure. Here's the first truth, okay? Everybody always goes to great lengths to get their treasure. This story doesn't represent two oddballs who, man, I don't know who would sell everything for the ultimate worth. I don't know. You would. That's the point of this. Everyone would go to great lengths to have the treasure. Their, Their phrasing here, at least from Jesus' words, are they sold all that they had. And everybody does the same thing. Your time, your money, your energy, which is code, by the way, for your heart. Wherever your heart is connected, it gets everything you got, okay? And so these these guys sold the farm for the treasure, just like every man, woman, and child that always has done that. It's important to note here that um, clearly we have the examples in our own life of, of spending money, ridiculous amounts of money on the things we treasure. Money we don't have, by the way. We don't even need money to go after stuff we treasure. Our houses represent the things we value, our cars, our hobbies, our gym memberships, whatever that is. I have no idea what that is. Um, indulging our children, stuff, hobbies. If, if you want a clear indication of your treasure, all you've got to do is pick up that little check registry, if they still have those things, and you look and see where your dough goes. And I can tell you that's where your treasure is. Fair. You also give your time, and maybe time more than even money describes what we treasure, Um, because I know by nature everybody's a selfish pig. That just is in us, selfish. And so sometimes time is more valuable to to us than money. I'm going to give you a sick confession. Like if someone gives me an option of saying, would you give to something or would you serve something, I'm going to probably lean into the give so that I can be free to do what I want to do. Now, don't hold me accountable to that. That was just trying to be transparent. That happens in me some, from time to time, okay? But I don't think I'm the exception to the rule. I think most of us struggle with our time, okay? Um, we invest hours and hours and hours and hours to working. Why? Why? To achieve? To climb the ladder? We... Um, We spend ridiculous amounts of time to get degrees, to get this, and to our professions for that. So maybe maybe more powerful than, than even a checkbook registry is your calendar to decide what you treasure. Maybe that helps. Clearly, energy is a great way to know what you fall in love with and what you think is most valuable. The things that you go to, I thought this week of parents who are making the decision to indulge their kids' sports activities. I said this last week, and I'm not judging it. I just would never do it. I'm too lazy probably, maybe that's it, but I have my own issues, right? The things that I give my energy to, Last, a couple weeks ago I bought an old truck. Well, It came with some things I didn't expect when I started working on it. It came with a rat, okay? <laughs> I didn't know that. And it's doing what rats do everywhere, right? And so I'm under this thing and it's all over me. Why would a grown man for a hobby do that, right? For the treasure of it. Not, not the rat, but get the rat out of the way, and once the truck's done, I'll go, hey, that was awesome, but I'll endure a whole bunch of dirty stuff in the meantime, and, and that happens for everyone who treasures something. We'll give, our, we'll give our heart, soul, mind, and strength to it, and the point is irrefutable. Our treasure always gets our best. Anybody have a, a counterpoint to that? There's no way you can go against this. Your treasure, whatever you value, gets everything you got. You can't help it. Here's the second absolute truth I think the story communicates to us, and that is this. We always pursue our treasures because of joy, not obligation. Because of the joy that it brings. In fact, that's what, that's what Jesus says, at least about the, the guy who dug up the treasure, and I think it's inferred to the pearl merchant. It's out of his joy, verse 44 says, um, he sells all that he has. For for these guys, it wasn't hard work. They weren't dragging their feet. Oh, I suppose it's a million dollars. I ought to sell everything. That wasn't his mood. That wasn't the attitude. They were excited to sell everything for the sake of the treasure. So let me give you an example. For those of you who have children, what wouldn't you do for your kids? Would you give up your life for your children? would you give up your time and your sleep and your money? And you say, wait a minute, I already have done that. I I get it. That's how it goes. Of course you would. And here's why. Because love, and it's not just love, but it's the joy of doing it, the care, the the happiness to serve someone like that. It comes out of everyone. There's the only reason why you do something crazy like have children. Um, So um, when it comes to the treasure, here's the rule. You're not obligated to value it highly. You will because you just can't help yourself. Do you understand? You can't help yourself because all men everywhere, man, woman, and child are pleasure seekers, joy mongers. In fact, you don't do anything unless you think it will make you happy. Um, some of you just inside stood up and said, wait a minute, I go to a job I hate every day, and it doesn't make me happy. And I would say to you, stop for a second. There's a reason why you go to a job. Maybe it's because it brings you money, or maybe because it brings you security, and that brings you joy. Maybe it's a means to an end, but you are still searching joy. You might have to endure the the stinky job, but you're going for joy. Do you understand? That's why we do anything. Everyone pursues things for the joy that it gives. That's how these guys pursued the treasure. Now, I am, um, have sat in church my whole life, m- much more than I uh, wish I had. Um, and I've heard this passage taught a thousand times. And here's where the turn, this is where the message turns. The finger comes out and some preacher says, now you should treasure Jesus. You, you really, now if we're talking about treasure here, given everything you got, you better saddle up and love Jesus and treasure him most of all. Here's what Jesus has been telling us in these stories. He's talking about a king and a kingdom of which he is the ruler of all. And so it's obvious that we might conclude that he's trying to to tell us to treasure him. And I don't think that's what this passage teaches at all, okay? Remember what he's doing? He's describing what the kingdom of God is like. Not what it might be like or what it should be like, but what the kingdom of God is like. And here's what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God in the hearts of men who love Jesus... We will treasure Jesus. We don't have to. We want to. He's the ultimate joy of life, right? And that's what he's describing. He's not giving us a preachy message about, oh, saddle up and and grow in your affections when God transforms sinners who are so twisted and so broken. We can't help ourselves. We will treasure Christ. It'll be like that. In other words, I kind of wrote this down and maybe it'll help you. Jesus is giving us a principle, not a formula. He's not given these stories to have you who don't treasure Christ go, well, I suppose I should. It's probably good for me. That's not how it's going down here. He's saying to those who, who have seen their sin forgiven and by faith go free from all the condemnation that Jesus is beautiful. I love Christ. I want Christ. He's worth my time, energy, and money. He gets my heart. Everything about me is, is his. And all he's doing is saying, that's how it happens when you treasure Christ. That's what the kingdom of God is filled with. People who want Jesus. Not trying to tell us that, hey, you better start loving the stuff you don't love. So, I think there's some, some challenges in this passage for us. But the principle is still the same. We always tr- treasure what we value most, right? And here's the Principle. Believers treasure the beauty of Christ most of all. More than your money, more than your life, more than your kids or your freedom, believers treasure Christ. And so the point here, by Jesus using the, the guy who discovers treasure in a field or the pearl merchant who finds the, the uh, most valuable tr- treasure he's ever come across, He's using it as examples to describe a person um, who treasures Christ the same way. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that really is the ultimate commandment, right? Love the Lord your God. Now let me tell you how. Everything you got. Everything you are. Your affections. Your appetites. Everything you have. Paul said it this way. I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 3. This one might intimidate us. It's okay. It's biblical. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to pick it up in verse 8 and read to verse 11. This is the Apostle Paul talking about what he treasures, okay? That's what he says. Verse 8 of chapter 3 of Philippians. Indeed, I count everything as loss because it's a surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus My Lord, that word loss or rubbish we're going to read in a minute is really the word dung. I consider everything garbage, dung. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own. That comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That's powerful. But I'm going to suggest to you that's not just the Apostle Paul. That's the heartbeat of kingdom people. I consider everything rubbish compared to knowing Christ. I'd give it all up to to this day, everything, for the sake of knowing Jesus and having my salvation. Now, I understand when I say that, there's a lot of us who are going through an assessment of our life going, that ain't me. I, uh, sometimes maybe, but it wasn't yesterday, it wasn't last week, I struggle with this and I I understand that and there's a a reality to loving Christ more and more every day that we got to get our heads around. What Paul is living in, what Jesus is describing for kingdom people is that we are treasuring Christ and more and more every day treasuring Christ. We're adding to that value all the time. In essence, we're working on that. If we were completely transparent, we would say there are things that, that, uh, in places where it doesn't feel that way. And if that's the case, I want you to see what the writer of Hebrews chapter 12 says about that perspective. Now, some would say the apostle Paul wrote 12. It sounds like him. It reads like him. Um, it writes like him. So let's just assume that Paul has now added to the, to the understanding of what it is to chase Christ, okay? Now, let me give you context about chapter 12. Chapter 12, now watch, is very sophisticated, follows chapter 11, okay? Chapter 11, some have called it the Hall of Fame of Faith. Paul, or the writer of Hebrews, has described all these champions, all these heroes, David and Solomon and Abraham and Moses, and you look at them, and this is what we would do. When I talk about treasuring Christ, we would go to the scriptures and go, yeah, I don't know if I'd ever be like those guys. They had something special I don't don't have. So watch how the writer of Hebrews follows up the presentation of all these great men of faith in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12, therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. If you were sitting here earlier and you thought about this love in God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you quickly assessed your life and said, well, it doesn't happen as clearly or as neatly as you say, then I'm going to give you a little tutorial of what the writer of Hebrews says, how you can get there. Three simple things he says in these two verses. One is to throw off everything in the way. Everything that's in the way of Christ alone. Here's what the writer says. Get rid of it. Now we're getting expensive. Now it hurts. So let me ask you a question. What keeps you from pursuing Christ the way you want to? What is it? You love Christ, and and those of you who have seen your sins forgiven and know that truth, you've got a list already formulating in your mind. "This, This is in the way, and that's in the way. And sometimes, right, I want you to consider this. It's not just bad things. It's anything, according to the writer, that's in the way, the surpassing worth of Christ. So do we have bad things? Yeah, we got bad things. I call them open windows to sin. It could be internet this. It, it could be a secret thing there. It could be whatever. It could be broken relationships, and unconfessed sin. It could be bitterness and resentment, excuses that we make. Just We can call those bad. Everyone would call those bad. That's why we don't tell anybody about them. But there's this whole list of good things. And this is what the challenge of walking towards the kingdom is like, is that we fall in love with the king's presence so much that we would rather have the presence than the king. And that's a good thing gone bad, right? The benevolence of God, the kindness of God, the blessings of God, the fact that he gives us health and he gives us a a home and food and all that kind of stuff and security and employment and money and all that, great stuff. But we have a tendency to twist the blessings of God, the benevolence of God into something we worship and love to a higher level than we love Christ. And so we have to be willing to lay aside anything that gets in the way of Christ. Are you willing to shut the windows? Well, here's what the writer says. Listen, We've got all these people who you would call spiritual studs. Let's follow their example. They laid aside everything for the sake of Christ. There's another thing that this uh, small little encouragement in 12, 1 and 2 tells me that that we need to run marathons, not sprints. Now, this directly confronts me because I am a sprinter. And I'm not talking about running. I don't do that either. But um, what I'm saying is I don't like to do anything slow, nothing slow. If there's a job to get done, it needs to be done now. I hate taking forever on stuff. It wears me out. I have no patience. I just want to get stuff done. And yet, hear, hear the description of what it is to walk as a kingdom citizen, being transformed every day into the image of Christ, means that I have to have my mind set on a marathon, not a, not a sprint. And that's a whole, whole different game than I'm prepared for. A lot of times we get beaten up simply because we didn't prep ourselves for how long it would take, right? And if we simply um, had realistic expectation, it would help us endure. Now when I was in high school, I, they made the announcement for the wrestling team. I went out for the wrestling team first day and I had no idea what it was all about. I had no idea. And the coach came out and he had a whistle and he said, all right, men, we're gonna run. <laughs> and we run. I, well, this is fun. I was out sprinting, out everybody, you know, showing how tough I am. And, Do it again. An hour later, he's blowing that stinking whistle. I was not prepared for an hour of running. The next day I was. Next day I didn't try to win every race. I didn't try to touch the wall first. I just kind of hung in there. I wanted to survive this thing. That picture right in your mind is how we endure walking in the kingdom. It includes way more blood, sweat, and tears than you ever, ever prepared yourself for. We have these moments um, where we would stop, you'd stop us in our spiritual zenith moments. I love Jesus more than anything else in the world. Like it's a post-camp moment or after a baptism. Like you have in your mind formulated this one particular story of your most highest spiritual moment. You go, I love it. And then it dissipates. It's like, it's like fog in the morning. And our faith grows a little tired or something happens and it gets a little tough. And so there are moments in our spiritual life where the voice of God sounds so distant. Like I'm, you're not even certain he's listening because it sounds like you're just talking to the air. And there are moments you come into a worship service where you used to have your hands up and your tears were falling down your face and now you just stand there and you're just spectating this thing and it does not matter. And you're wondering, what happened to the dried heart? What, where did this come from? And so you say to yourself, well, I've got to wait for that feeling to come back in order for me to get back in the game. And I would tell you that's not what the scriptures talk about. The scriptures make no mistake in using athletic analogies to describe the journey of faith. It says things like running and boxing and wrestling because it requires way more pain and endurance than, than anybody would perceive on the front end to gain the prize. Do you understand? The other thing that uh, the writer of Hebrews says that kind of kickstart our pursuit of the treasure, and that is focus on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Verse 2 says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Two things, right? You look to Jesus for the example, and you look to Jesus for the provision, Like he's the example of how to love and how to give and how to serve. He's the one who showed it by forgiving sins. He's the one who gives salvation to people who who ultimately have no interest in him whatsoever, yet he opens blind eyes. He gives grace that we don't deserve, joy and freedom. He promises to not let anything ultimately come between us and him or harm us ultimately. He has life eternal prepared for us in the kingdom of God. And then he is the ultimate perfecter of our faith. In in other words, Jesus is way more into us being transformed into him, his image, than any of us care to be. He's committed to it. He's absolutely committed to you being changed over time. And so what we do in the midst of this whole trying to figure out my treasures is, is know this, that i got to focus on Christ. i got to focus on his example. i got to focus on the fact that he's into me. He's into making me like Christ. He's into having things come in and come out of my life strategically to, in order to form Christ in me. He is the perfecter of my faith. Amen? He's the initiator and he's the finisher. That's what he's into. That's the gospel that we believe. So let me finish with this. This passage isn't a passage about what you should do. In spite of what all these great preachers I grew up listening to, this is not what that's about. It's simply about the responses of people who treasure Christ. This is what you will do if you treasure Christ. You'll give everything for Christ. You'll pursue heart, soul, mind, and strength if you love Christ. Now, I'm going to be honest too I I didn't think about all of you when I was sitting down to study this I actually thought about one type of person if you're sitting here today and you would say honestly of your own heart and faith you don't treasure Christ then I I want to talk to you for a second for the rest of us we're probably hearing this thing man I I, I probably should more I want to more thanks for the reminder some of you are sitting here I don't treasure him whatsoever that's my confession to you And I I sat to think about what I could tell you, and I suppose it would be malpractice of me to say, hey, you should, you should love something you don't love. That's just not how it works. You treasure what you treasure. Maybe what I should do for just a second is show you Jesus so that you could simply compare him to what you already treasure, and maybe Christ is a greater treasure. I was sitting out in the the driveway on um, Wednesday or something, some Mormon missionaries came up, girls this time, right? So strategic. Um, these 20, 19-year-old girls, and they were talking about, they were getting ready. I could see their guns loaded and being all nice and everything. And, and I kind of took the conversation hostage. And all I wanted to talk about was Christ, because we use the same terms, but a different dictionary. My Jesus is a different Jesus than what you worship. My Jesus is God eternal, and you don't know. You don't know what you're saying. So maybe I was a little bit aggressive. I have no idea, but... Um, but let me, if you're sitting here today and you would say, just honestly, it's not worth lying, if you honestly say, I don't treasure Christ like you describe, let me just give you a couple descriptions. Scriptures tell us he's the creator, sustainer of all life, that he knit you together in your mother's womb precisely as he wanted you to be. No mistakes, no errors, precise. The scriptures say that he knows everything about everyone, every secret, hidden thought and behavior in your life, and he's not repulsed by it. Scriptures tell us that he is God eternal who became like one of us to fix what we broke. That's amazing. It tells us that he is faithful when everyone and everything else in our life isn't scriptures tell us that his love is eternal. It tells us that he makes promises and he keeps every one of them. It tells us that he offers forgiveness to sinners who can't and won't stop their rebellion. It tells me that he relates to us under the banner of grace and he never treats his kids the way their sins deserve. He paid the ultimate price to have a relationship with us. He gives life, joy, peace that doesn't dissipate when trouble comes, it grows in stress. He gives life eternal. Now, Tell me about your treasure again. Tell me what it is that you think is worth it. Compare it to Jesus compare it to the beauty of Christ, and his intention for coming for you, and your sin to take it all on himself, to give you freedom from the condemnation and the weight of his holy judgment, and you're going to tell me the trinkets you're playing with are worth it? Maybe you ought to reconsider. Maybe you ought to look at Jesus. And I'm telling you, if you see beauty in him, you'll chase it. Nobody has to tell you to. You'll want him with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. There's one last thing I want to tell you. I find interesting this story, comparing and contrasting the guy who finds the treasure and the pearl merchant, the, the guy who's digging in a field, he just stumbles upon it. The merchant's been on a hunt his whole life, his whole career for the ultimate prize. It's interesting to me that some people, some people are deep thinkers. I'm not one of them. Some people can't shut it off. They lay awake at night, staring at the ceiling, wondering what's truth and what's life all about. And some people are on could be said they're seeking after ultimately true. And some of us, we are just knuckleheads and we trip over the truth. And we're kind of like Paul who's on his way to, the, to Damascus to tell people that, that Jesus is a hoax and to persecute the church. And Jesus shows up. He stumbles across Christ, upon Christ and his life is turned upside down. And so my point is simple. I don't know which one you are, whether you would call yourself a seeker of truth or one of, your, one of those knuckleheads who just happens to bump into it by accident. I don't think it matters how you find the treasure. It matters what you do when you find the treasure. And I would suggest to you to wrap your arms and your heart and your soul and your mind around the treasure. It doesn't matter whether you searched for the Lord or whether you just bumped into Him one day. It doesn't matter if you grew up in Sunday school or spent your life on the streets doesn't matter if you had a dramatic conversion experience or whether you came gradually to faith what matters is realizing that living in god's kingdom possessing eternal life and walking with jesus is the greatest treasure anyone could ever ever find father god thank you for christ Thank you for his love and his mercy and his grace and his beauty and his perfection and his transforming work in the hearts of sinners. God, thank you that he comes after all types and kinds. God, my prayer today is that the church would rise up and remember the treasure of Christ and that there are those who are here today who haven't ever considered the value of Jesus that today they would would believe and receive and be saved. Thank you, God, we pray in Christ's name, amen.